you can still find it in the protocols that it wasn't just about the consumer, but that it was also about the dairy sector and protecting the dairy sector and giving it some privilege. In uh, 2017, there was this court case involving Tofu Town and the ECJ decided you are not allowed to call it a vegan cheese. Now this Amendment 171 wanted to expand the original dairy denomination ban. Many of the decision makers were not really aware of the consequences of this amendment. Unfortunately, we see that the battle has been brought to the national level. Decisions taken now will have an effect on what comes in the future from the cellular agriculture food space. Yeah, it might be approved that it is safe for consumption, but that doesn't mean the actual marketization of these products is also approved. Hey peeps, you may have heard of Amendment 171 in Europe. It aims to restrict plant-based dairy companies like Oatly immensely. They would not be able to call their product oat milk or creamy or anything associated with conventional animal-based dairy. Possibly, they wouldn't even be able to package the products the same way milk is packaged. Between recording and launching of this episode, the amendment was dropped, fortunately. Anyway, the alternative protein industry will have many more battles to face. It's important for us to understand how legislature develops, is evaluated, and how we can influence it. Thus, this episode can help us learn from the past to brace ourselves for the future. You will hear from Ronja Berthold, the head of public affairs of the European Vegetarian Union and former political outreach officer for ProVeg International. Due to a tech defect, I sound like I recorded my audio with a toaster. Pardon me, but this is a short, concise and information-packed episode with lots of lessons. In next week's episode, we will contrast this with the legislature in the US. Let's jump right in. This is Red to Green. You're listening to Season 3 on Promoting Alternative Proteins. 12 episodes covering consumer acceptance and food psychology of novel foods, like cell-cultured meat and alternative dairy. To receive the best takeaways on food tech and sustainability, subscribe now. And sign up to our newsletter at redtogreen.solutions. I'm your host, Marina Schmidt. Ronja, it's lovely to have you on Red to Green. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, let's dive into the regulatory side of the topic. I personally am very much connected to the startup scene, to the VCs, to the incubators, and that's probably 95% of the conversations that I have. So the regulatory issues are definitely far outside of my comfort zone, but at the same time also so important. And there's the Amendment 171, which is, I think, the most well-known at the moment. So it addresses the alternative dairy industry. What are other regulatory occurrences, you could say, that people could look into to start understanding how these processes go on. Yeah, so Amendment 171 was basically a part of like two major issues that were brought up recently. So it was not just about dairy alternatives, but also meat alternatives. That thing started with the reform of the common agriculture policy in Europe. So, you know, this like umbrella policy for the agricultural market in the single market of the EU. 
because they have the legislative initiative. The European Commission starts with a proposal for a reform of all of these policies. And then the European Parliament came up with amendments to that. And they proposed two amendments to the Common Market Organization, which is one of these like bigger regulations that regulates a lot. It's like basically the market organization of the agricultural market. So you will have a lot of regulatory issues in there. And in this Common Market Organization, actually, we had since the 1980s already a protection of milk denominations for anything that is not a memory secretion, as they call it within the regulation. So anything that does not come from an animal, basically, yeah, was already prohibited to use the denominations around dairy, be it milk, be it cheese, be it yogurt. So there's a list where you will find all of these denominations and also like a more general wording where it says, yeah, any dairy related names, basically. And, and they are not allowed to be used for any other products that don't come from animals. So we had this regulation in the EU already since the 80s. And by the way, at the time, it was argued on the one hand with consumer protection, so people don't get confused. But on the other, it was really about protecting the dairy sector itself. So when they established that, you can still kind of find it in the protocols that it wasn't just about the consumer, but that it was also about the dairy sector and protecting the dairy sector and giving it some privilege. So it wasn't really a secret at the time, you know. So we had this since the 80s, but of course, only relatively recently, the alternative market really started to have this big boom to start to grow in a way that we haven't really seen before. And this sparked some concerns from the old industry. And so apparently they saw an opportunity or there was an opportunity when this reform came around of the common agricultural policy. And there were two amendments proposed by the responsible committee within the European Parliament that aimed at banning, on the one hand, meat denominations for meat alternatives as well, because we haven't had that before. We only had that in the dairy sector up until this point. So there was no such regulation for meat. So that's what they tried to introduce. The meat sector was looking at the dairy sector and asked to have the same kind of protection. So they wanted to have even words like hamburger and sausage and steak and schnitzel and all these things they wanted to have it banned as well for alternative products or for anything that doesn't have meat in it. And also this amendment 171, of course, already had this protection, but they wanted to expand on it because the problem was that it was not super clear from the dairy regulation before whether you can only not call your product a vegan milk, for example, or like an oat milk, or whether it's not allowed to mention the word milk at all on your products. So that wasn't super clear, but up until this point, it was also not very challenged. So companies producing dairy alternatives, they had to find a way of describing to consumers what their products are, what kind of alternatives their products are. And of course, they were not allowed to use the denominations themselves, the milk, the yogurt, and so on. So what they did was they tried to describe it, but mention on the product 
somewhere that this is an alternative, like this is a vegan soy alternative to yogurt so that people will be able to understand what these alternative products are and how they can use them and how they will taste and what their texture will be, all of these things, you know, these denominations, I mean, they guide consumers, they transport information. And of course, you need that also with alternative products, people need to be aware of what they're buying so that they can actively make a choice about this. And that was not very clear, or that was allowed, like that was a practice that was done on the market by most of the companies. Yeah, and now this Amendment 171 wanted to expand the original dairy denomination ban by also prohibiting this practice of calling something an alternative to. They phrased it in a way that would basically prohibit any mentioning of the dairy product on the actual food in the end, in the marketing of the food. So it was going even further. So yeah, it, it's a super complicated landscape and they were trying to get into it and banning a lot of things for alternative products and trying to put an end to some useful practices that were used by the alternative industry up until this point. To build startups that change the industry not only requires capital, but also the relevant know-how and valuable connections. Check out our partner Atlantic Food Labs, an early stage investor and venture studio for startups. Founded in 2016, the Berlin-based investor is one of Europe's leading venture firms for food and agriculture, investing in exciting topics such as alternative proteins, water supply, vertical farming, solutions for food waste and carbon reduction. Led by the vision to feed 10 billion people by 2050 in a sustainable and healthy way, Atlantic Food Labs has supported over 20 mission-driven founding teams to launch their ideas. For example, they've invested in Legendary, the cultured milk startup featured in our episode 4, making real cheese without cows. Mush Labs, making meat alternatives from fungi, and Gorillas, designing the future of grocery shopping. And now, back to today's episode. Okay, interesting. So I'm going to try to summarize it at the top of my head, just to make sure that we got it right. So in 1980, there was the establishment of this dairy denomination. And by the way, for my non-native speakers all over the world, denomination is how you would call a certain product. And then during the agricultural reform, the meat industry wanted to have similar protection like the dairy industry. And the dairy industry wanted to intensify its protection because it wasn't really clear what it means, so how this denomination protection looks in practice, so whether alternative protein companies can actually still call themselves milk, but it was common industry practice to say this is an alternative to milk, but now the aim of the amendment is that even saying that it's an alternative is not possible. And then there's also all of these other weird expectations or goals of the dairy industry that it cannot be called creamy, it cannot be sold in the same packaging, etc., etc. So the way this amendment is phrased, it draws from another regulation that is in place uh, in Europe, which is a protection of certain designations of origin and specialties. So you have, for example, 
champagne in Europe that you like you can't call any kind of champagne champagne. It has to come from the specific region or Parma ham, for example, has to be a very specific food. And there are regulations for that to be able to call it a Parma ham. And from a legal perspective, this kind of protection is very close to brand protection, for example. What they did with the Amendment 171 was that they took the phrasing, basically, from this kind of regulation for specialties and these origin foods and applied it to the dairy sector or took the wording and put it into what was already there with the dairy denomination protection. And so they were kind of creating basically a brand protection for the whole dairy food sector. And this is a very complicated legal issue in the end. Like we didn't really know what this could mean in the end. So it was relatively clear because they had some examples in the actual regulation where it says, yes, you can't use the denomination also not in conjunction with words like type, style, as made in something like that so that it was relatively clear that alternative two might also be affected but yeah the general phrasing of the whole amendment was then still unclear so that we didn't know whether also packages would be affected you know because it says in in this amendment that you're not supposed to invoke the idea of the original product somehow in the consumer it was phrased differently than how i'm just trying to describe it right now but yeah that was kind of the idea not to invoke this connection to dairy products and so we feared that in the end it might go a lot lot further than only denomination and what is written on the product, but also what is shown on the product regarding pictures and how the products are overall presented. And that includes packaging. So mm. there was just a danger that all of this would be affected too, because it might make consumers draw the comparison between the alternative products and the original products, which is, of course, useful because you're having alternatives to these products. But yeah, it seemed like they really didn't want this connection. Yeah. yeah, I guess it's really not about the consumers at all in this whole fight. It's really about market share and reducing the threat of competition. I wonder, what is the current state with this? So how likely is it that this will seriously affect the alternative dairy industry? And what are now the next decision points or the timeline for this? Um, yeah, so that's something that is relatively uncertain at this point. This was a proposal from the European Parliament, but the whole agricultural reform is negotiated between the European Commission, the Parliament and the European Council. And so they are currently in the so-called trilogue negotiations where they have to find a common position on, on all of their proposals, on all of their ideas about this policy reform. And these negotiations are currently still ongoing. We know that they are progressing quite slowly. This is a huge policy framework. So there are a lot of issues in there. 
for us, it might be very big, but this whole amendment thing is a rather small issue within this whole policy framework. And there's, of course, a lot bigger issues where they are having trouble to find a common position on and to uh, come together, all of these uh, three institutions. And what's your estimation? How likely is it to be approved or rejected? Maybe how are people that you're talking to concerned about this? That's also hard to say. Like as the negotiations were progressing and we talked to a lot of people, what became clear was that many of the decision makers were not really aware of the consequences of this amendment. So it was said by many stakeholders from the dairy industry that this would not really change anything, but that it would be a codification of the Tofu Town case. And I have to explain that perhaps. So there was a case brought before the European Court of Justice in 2017. Uh, you will see a lot of sources on the internet actually saying that this was the origin of the dairy denomination ban, which is not exactly true. As I said, the origin is already from the 80s. But in uh, 2017, there was this court case involving Tofu Town because they were selling a vegan cheese, I believe, or uh, was it or tofu butter or something. So they were using dairy denomination, but they were calling it specifically a vegan dairy product. And so they were saying, well, this is fine. We are basically showing with this word vegan that it's not an animal dairy product. But of course, this was still challenged because there was the denomination ban and in the end brought before the ECJ. And the ECJ decided that the denomination ban is still valid even if you make such distinctions with words like vegan, that it is not an animal product, the denomination ban still holds, basically. So you are not allowed to call it a vegan cheese because the, the ban is all-encompassing, no matter what you write in front of it. So what they did was they just kind of confirmed the regulation that was already in place and just specifying basically that it's also valid if you call it vegan. And what they were saying now is that this clarification from the ECJ is now just translated into regulation with this amendment. But that's just not true. So the amendment, as I described before, has all of these other implications especially with regards to the practices that are now used as describing your products as an alternative to, as a variation to, as creamy, as melts like cheese or whatever, to give consumers an orientation. Yeah, so it goes much further than what has been ruled by the ECJ. From our point of view, that was not the whole story of this amendment. And yet it was perceived as just being a codification of this ECJ ruling. Hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating to me that while the European Union has climate change targets, it's stuff like that is even being discussed. Where attention should rather be directed towards how can we increase plant-based food consumption, how can we reduce our alliance on conventional animal agriculture. What I see here is that approval is not enough. In the certainly in the agriculture space, quite often it seems to me like, well, as soon 
for as long as this is approved as a novel food or by the FDA in America, things will be fine. But actually, maybe that's just the beginning of the legal battles. How do you see that? Yeah, I think there's definitely a point in this, you know, looking at the discussions we're having now where plant-based alternatives are contested to be able to call themselves an alternative to something. Decisions taken now will have an effect on what comes in the future from the cellular agriculture food space because, yeah, it might be approved that it is safe for consumption within the European Union, but that doesn't mean that anything about the marketing and the actual marketization of these products is, is also approved. But I think it depends also on the perception and what actually cellular agriculture products will be deemed as in the end. Will they really be accepted from a legal perspective as being an animal product in any case? you know, then it might not be as complicated. And I'm guessing that's also something that the industry would want because that's obviously uh, a selling argument, a selling point. The same goes for plant-based alternatives, by the way. So, I mean, plant-based alternatives, of course, they try to communicate really clearly to consumers that they are plant-based alternatives because that's their main selling point, you know. And still there's made such a fuss about it and pretended that they want to confuse consumers or trick consumers into buying this, although they want to buy the animal product. And uh, so I'm guessing, of course, there will be regulations that you will have to communicate that you are selling a cell-based animal product. But I would also say that this is, of course, something that the industry would want as well, because they want to show that they are differently made than conventional animal products. But there are a lot of labeling issues, and it will certainly be interesting how they decide on plant-based alternatives and then yeah take this experience and all these cases and apply them to the cellular agriculture space in the future within the amendment the meat topic has been sorted out a bit more right that's true yeah there were two amendments and one was targeting meat that was amendment 165 this one was rejected in the plenary of the parliament so as i said these amendments were suggestions from the agriculture committee within the parliament because they are the one responsible for working on agricultural policies in the parliament but still of course it will have to go through the whole parliament through voting of the whole parliament to be accepted to go forward in the negotiations and so that's what they did in october last year they put all of these amendments to the vote in plenary and the amendment on meat denominations where they wanted to ban burger, sausage, everything for meat alternatives, it was rejected by a majority from the MEPs in the plenary. And that's why I also say that I think it hasn't really been clear in the beginning what Amendment 171 means, because like they voted in favor of this amendment while at the same time rejecting the one for meat alternatives. So it didn't really make sense in that way. Yeah, but that was rejected. So that was a good signal. But still, unfortunately, we see that the battle has been brought to the national level. It already started in 2016 in Germany, where the former agriculture minister took 
issue with meat alternatives and their names <laughs> and started this whole process where the Food Code Commission of Germany then got into the topic and worked out some guidelines for meat alternatives. And we see other initiatives on national level now where they're trying to, if not at European level, then at least introduce something on national level that kind of uh, bans also certain words or establishes restrictions for meat alternatives. Yeah, I recently listened to an interview with some people from Oakley describing that whenever they go into a new country, they brace themselves for the legal hurdles or the regulatory hurdles. So I find that quite interesting that it's both on the international and national level. And we have been talking about the EU mainly. What is it like in the rest of the world? Is that something that is not that much of an issue in areas of the world that are maybe less nitty-gritty about the terms that you have any insights on that? Yeah, I don't have a lot of insights because I really focus on the European landscape and because we've had these big issues in the last years. On European level, I do sometimes get some updates from the US where it also seems to be an issue where at least the, the lobbies are trying also to say that, that it's not okay that they're using these words and these descriptions. As far as I know in the US, it hasn't been as successful as here perhaps like in the sense that it didn't go very far all of these uh, discussions because they reasoned with freedom of expression so and that seemed to be yeah valued higher in the US so it hasn't been regulated that much but it doesn't mean that it couldn't be in the future there as well and that they are not trying to do that what can companies do so let's say we have alternative protein companies, young companies who are working on cultured meat alternatives or cultured dairy alternatives, how can they get engaged? Should they get engaged? Like now, is that something where they should already be acting on? And if yes, what are the best ways to do so? I think that they should come together. I think they should talk to each other and uh, talk to their network. And so they should engage with the plant-based network that is already there. And also, I think what would be important is to talk to decision makers and really show them that they are part of the economy, that they are part of this industry, and that it's not a small part anymore. It's definitely important for them to be more yeah, proactive in reaching out to decision makers. And now three last questions. If you would have 50 million, in what businesses would you invest in? In what areas? Help farmers transition. So I think this is the most interesting thing to me personally at, at this moment to really help farmers to transition to plant-based, to a more environmental-friendly, climate-friendly way of farming, especially transitioning from animal farming to plant-based farming. I think this is because you have all of these fights and I think it's really unfortunate because a lot of the farmers, of course, they think that they are seen as bad people doing bad things while they're just trying to provide food and so on. And I think these concerns are definitely valid if they have them. And I think it should be better 
communicated that we're no one is really against farmers because of course they are producing our food and they are also producing plant-based food obviously that's something that i'm interested in most currently yeah Thank you for listening. Our in-depth journalism is made possible by donors, grants, and companies supporting us. If you are interested to reach a bright and pretty damn amazing audience of food tech professionals in 70 plus countries, let's talk. Just ping me at change at redtogreen.solutions. Change at redtogreen.solutions. Until next time, let's move the food industry from harmful to healthy, from polluting to sustainable, from red to green.